today on this part two of the Huddle Up Draft podcast. Carl, Nick, and Eric are once again joined by Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon and Locked On Patriots to dive into the rest of the remaining top quarterback prospects in this class, including Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen, as well as some sleeper quarterbacks in this upcoming class. You are listening to the Huddle Up Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Once again, Broncos country, it is time to huddle up draft style. I am not your host today, Carl is, but because the original podcast ran long, we are cutting this up into two bite-sized podcasts for you listeners. We are joined by Carl Dumlin, Eric Trickle, and special guest Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon and Locked on Patriots, a QB guru of sorts, and probably one of the better quarterback draft Twitter followers and just draft followers in general on the internet these days. Mark has put in the time to really analyze the quarterback's prospects in this upcoming draft class and has put out articles and videos alike for each of the quarterback prospects. And we are very excited to have him on here today for the show. The Huddle Up 2018 Draft Show focuses all things that relate to your Denver Broncos as it pertains to the upcoming NFL Draft. With Eric, Carl, and myself being Draftaholics, we will be bringing you fresh insight and analysis each and every week from scouting reports, player values, scheme and personnel fits, and general draft-related banter. Follow myself on Twitter at Nick Kendall MHH, Carl at Carl Dumlin MHH, Eric at Eric Trickle, and of course, Mark Schofield at Mark Schofield. Be sure to tweet us any questions or opinions you have because we live for talking Bronco football and draft football. You can also follow the podcast Twitter account at HuddleUpPod. Make sure you check out ours and our co-writers' content at Mile High Huddle, a part of Scout.com, and an affiliate of CBS Sports Digital. We know your listeners are as football, draft, and Bronco crazy as we are. So please, give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. Don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without you listeners. So as a call to action, please take the time and go to iTunes or Spreaker to rate and subscribe to us to let your voices be heard on how you enjoy the show. But moving on, definitely one of the another one of the more interesting guys here, one of the two Joshes in this class, Josh Allen for Wyoming. Now there are definitely a pretty big group of Bronco fans that are have some personal interest in Josh Allen, being the uh, fair amount of Bronco fans in Wyoming that have been clamoring for Josh Allen. And I personally, I think everybody, uh, Carl and Eric also have been, you know, telling the Bronco fans there to pump the brakes. You know, he's a, he's definitely a tools guy has an incredible arm, athletic profile size. I mean, everything that you could want from him and had played decently at the senior bowl. I mean, granted, you know, practices are way more valuable than the, the game itself, but Josh Allen is definitely one of the more interesting guys in this class. And, I have no idea where he's going to go. I've heard bottom of the first round. I've heard he's a day two player and I've heard first overall, but I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about Josh Allen. Yeah. And you know, I think the way to sort of at least, you know, construct a framework for the, the Josh Allen debate is, you know, will versus should, you know, will Josh Allen go in the first round? Yeah. Will he go early in the first round? Yeah, I believe so. But then the, the flip side to that is, should he, and I think, you know, from just a film review, film study, looking at the arc of his sort of development or even lack thereof, you know, I don't think he's a guy that goes in the first round. I think in a vacuum, 
This is a guy that's like a day two guy, a second round guy. But quarterbacks get bumped up all the time. So that's issue number one, which gets us to the Willie. Yeah. And he's got splash throws that make everybody, whether you're just a draft guru, whether you're a coach, a GM, you see some of the throws he can make at the Senior Bowl. You see some of the throws he can make in his bowl game. You see some of the ridiculous throws he can make scattered throughout his tape, and you think, I can get that to work. I can take that and mold it into something. So that's the sort of framework is it will versus should. And you know what, where I come down with, with Allen is, yes, you know you have incredible – incredible clay to mold, to work with, to shape, but you have to have the right hands to do it. And my concern with Allen is as talented as he is, how often do we see guys come into the league that have, you know, these incredible skill sets that just, it doesn't get developed. You don't have the right hands of crafting him as he moves from, you know, splash throw quarterback, you know, playing in out Wyoming into a guy that is going to be an every down quarterback. I mean, my earliest comp on him, I just got done saying I wasn't a huge comp guy, but here I go, was Nuke Lelouch from Bull Durham. And I know that's going to sound crazy, (laughs) but that's who he is. He's got the million-dollar arm, you know, unparalleled arm talent, but he needs the other stuff. He needs to be able to throw the off-speed stuff, throw with touch, throw with feel, throw with anticipation, you know? And he just – he did. that was my concern with him coming into this year. I wanted to see that develop, and it never really came to fruition. And even when you see him down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, anytime he had to make a throw with touch, feel, anticipation, placement, and stuff like that, that's where he struggled, you know? And we all got a giggle of that video where – it's him and Baker trying to throw against a stationary net and Baker drills it. And Allen doesn't even hit the 10 foot wide net from 10 feet away. And people are like, well, how the, how can that happen? And it's easy to make fun of it and laugh about it, but that's his issue. The, the feel, the placement, all the finer things are going to play in the quarterback position. He's a thrower and a great one, but he needs to be a passer. And to bring it back to the nuclear loose comp, he's not going to get, a couple of you know games or a couple of months in the Carolina League with Crash Davis as his catcher, like his exposure is going to be at the pro level against very good defenses, not against double A type talent. And so that's my concern with him. All the raw tools are there, and there's great stuff there. Believe me, he's again unparalleled arm talent. Can make some wild, wild throws. Incredible athleticism, and does some of the things that make you just wonder why he's not the surefire number one overall pick. And then he'll do something to make you wonder if he's going to get drafted at all. And that's sort of the quandary with him. I always think of today's NFL just doesn't allow players to have the time to develop, especially a first round quarterback. There's just a lot of pressure on an organization to get them onto the field as quick as possible. And I, I mean, Bronco fans, we just saw that with Paxton Lynch where there was nothing in front of him. And so there was just kind of this push to, to have him start and he just wasn't ready. And there's a lot of people before the draft, before he was ever drafted that said he's a two, maybe three year project. And all of a sudden he's a bust after one year because he can't get on the field. And I just kind of see that same thing happening possibly with Josh Allen, where he just doesn't have that time to develop the rest of his game. Yeah. And he yeah. Stay that, that tools player. Yeah, I, I think that, Carl, it's a great sort of way to frame this. And now if you're going to tell me that, you know, okay, Mark, he has to go in the first round, where does he go? 
I'm comfortable saying, okay, then fine. You know, he'll go to New England at 31. Like if, if you want to do that, I, I'm fine with that. That's an ideal situation. Pittsburgh, that's another ideal situation. Even the Chargers a little earlier in the round. Like situations where he can go and sort of be eased in, whether it's a year from now or in the New England case, two or three years from now, I think would be ideal for him. When we were down in Mobile, you know, some of you guys probably heard this too, that, you know, Baltimore was potentially thinking about Josh Allen if he falls. Again, another ideal situation and somewhat of a similar stylistic quarterback in the sense, I think, you know, to learn from and Joe Flacco. That's ideal for him. Now, if Allen's going to be in a situation where he's pressed into action early, he's not going to develop the things he needs to develop because as we talked about with Donald, he will fall back on his crutch. All quarterbacks have crutches. All writers, all podcasters, we all have crutches that we turn to in the heat of the moment. With RG3, it was tuck it and go, right? That's what got him into trouble, but that's what he was doing because it always worked for him. As long as RG3 had been playing football, he was the most athletic and probably the fastest guy on the field. So if things got scary for him, he could tuck it and get to the edge and beat everybody to the edge. He gets to the NFL. He's suddenly not the fastest guy on the field anymore. Those defensive ends, those linebackers, they can beat him to the edge. Now what happens? Now how does he adjust? It's going to be the same thing for Allen. He's had the arm where it can bail him out of trouble. He can run around back there, make guys miss in the pocket, and make ridiculous throws into some thrown windows that other quarterbacks would never dream of challenging. Now he's going to get to the NFL where those throwing windows are going to be even smaller and those guys chasing him down are going to be faster. And that's what he's going to face is if he's pressed into action early, he's going to try to do the things that he could sometimes get away with at Wyoming and he's not going to get away with them in the NFL. And about you mentioned the, him going to the Steelers or the Chargers or the Patriots, and those are all such great fits, or even the Ravens. Uh, I think you and I actually talked about this a little bit on Twitter a while back about where Josh Allen should go. And thing is is that if he doesn't go to a team that has an established quarterback the pressure is really on because the nfl isn't a place where coaches have the time are allowed the time to sit there and work and develop quarterbacks anymore is you got to come in and you got to get start competing to win right away otherwise you're going to be out of a job and not just with that it applies to all these quarterbacks so that's what makes Allen such a bigger risk is because how much more raw he is compared to all these other guys, the raw talent there. And so if he goes to like a Cleveland and they don't have a guy for him to sit behind, it's hard to see him be successful because he doesn't have that time to sit there and learn the pressures there and the coaches, they got to sit there and try to figure out a way to make it so he can be effective and win. It just, it's a shame that the NFL has changed so much to where you can't, be given the time to sit there and develop a lot of players and not just quarterbacks, but quarterback being the hot position, it's even worse for them. Yeah, Eric, that's exactly right. And, you know, like, like we had talked about, like you said, like the chargers, the Steelers, Baltimore, like those would all be good fits for him. But, you know, the expectation level changes once you get into say that one to 20 range of the draft, because now you're drafting usually for teams that need to fix the quarterback spot, you know, because if you're drafting early in the draft, chances are you need to fix the quarterback spot expectations are different now you know this is no longer you know a two to three year process where you know people have patience fan bases have patience ownership groups have patience you know it's a twitter world now 
people expect results immediately. And so if Josh Allen goes early in the draft, like to a Cleveland or to some of the other teams, like the Jets, for example, that need to fix the quarterback spot, there are going to be expectations that he plays almost immediately. And so that's going to be the problem with him, you know, because he's not going to get that patience and he's going to have mistakes. All these rookie quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. Josh Allen, perhaps more than anybody else. If he's allowed to be in a situation where he can be brought along slowly, I think that is best for him because there won't be sort of that concern at the outset and there won't be, you know, a fan base going crazy when he makes mistakes. But if he's forced into action early, the mistakes will be there. They will mount the pressure. It will just be a vicious cycle for him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And bringing it back to Josh Allen's tape and on the field uh, argument that's brought up a lot when people are arguing for Josh Allen is that, you know, he didn't have the division one talent around him this past year and it made him look worse than he was. And granted, you know, watching the Wyoming tape, you could see that their offensive line, was not good. I mean, putting it lightly, their offensive line was not great this past year. They did have a guy like Chase Rullier last year, who or two years ago now, that played pretty well there. But offensive line talent, not great. The weapons were not great. But still, from, when I, from what I was watching on the tape, it wouldn't have mattered if it was Randy Moss out there or Gronkowski. You know, some of those balls were so erratic and inaccurate. And from the footwork to the processing speed to understanding – not only where the ball needs to go, but the type of throw that is necessary, where it's going and everything, that that was just so far and away issue that it, the the argument that, you know, he didn't have the talent around him, I don't think holds as much weight as it does at face value. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I mean, you know, the mistakes were there two years ago when he had Brian Hill, a talented running back, when he had, you know, the Hollister twins, both of whom are in NFL camps right now and NFL teams right now. And so the issues were still there. And it's not like this was a situation where, you know, he was doing everything perfectly and the team was just dropping passes and, you know, blowing stuff up front for him and getting him into trouble. He, a lot of the mistakes, a lot of the errors, a lot of the things that, you know, people that aren't as high on Josh Allen as others might be point to are things of his own creation and doing. And so, I, you know, you play with who you play with. And – you know, it is interesting when other people point to like, you know, with Josh Rosen or with Lamar Jackson and say they didn't have great levels of talent around them. It's it's still up to the guy to make the read and to make the throw and some of the mistakes were of their own doing as well. You know, but w- with Allen, the, the other thing to consider is we always like to see these guys elevate the level of talent around them. You know, and if that's what we're looking for, then did Josh Allen accomplish that this year? And it's hard to make the case that he did. You know, he had a great bowl game. They looked great in the bowl game, but was it there throughout the course of the season? Yeah, and on that talent point, Denver fans saw this, is that the quarterback held the position, the skill positions back. And so when I watched Josh Allen's tape, I sit there and part of me actually starts to wonder is, I'm not going to say that his talent around him is so great, but I start to question is, did he hold them back a little bit because of his accuracy issues? And that's not a question that I really can answer that all that well, because you just can't really say for sure. I know in Denver, that was the case and maybe it was with Allen. I'm, he still really has all the tools, but I'm just not a fan of the talent around them argument. I mean, Carson Wentz, I went back and, few weeks ago on Twitter and looked at the talent he had around him and where they're at in the NFL now. And there's not many that are around him and look at what he did and look at what he's done. And just 
individual skill matters a lot. And Alan, while the tools are there, just lacks in a lot of ways. So I, I just, I, I actually just hate the down around him argument personally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it is interesting because you do hear Wentz's name brought up a lot and mostly by the people that are sort of on the pro Allen side of things. And, you know, I don't want to say pro Allen, anti Allen or anything like that. We're all just trying to evaluate these guys. But it seems like, you know, the people that are more believers in Josh Allen sometimes point to Carson Wentz and say, look, you know, he was coming from a, you know, a low level school, big, tall, athletic guy with a big arm. But I think there are some differences that, you know, it's important to highlight between Wentz and with Allen Boot because we saw with Wentz, you know, a sort of a deeper sort of mental understanding of the game. You know, Wentz had absolute freedom and autonomy at the line of scrimmage to make audibles, you know, to get his team in and out of plays to, you know, change the protection. You know, he had that comeback win against Northern Iowa as a, his senior year where he had a two-minute drill in, in the closing minutes to win that game. Game one and touchdown came on an audible in the red zone where he had the freedom to call a fade route to a freshman wide receiver, you know, and, and it's stuff like that, that, you know, show that once was just an advanced sort of quarterback and study coming out, you talk to Wentz's offensive coordinator and, you know, he wins the national championship as a junior once does. And the offensive coordinator always has his quarterbacks do an exercise where they have to go back and watch their tape and, you know, highlight like 10, I think decisions from each game that they would have made differently. And this is a team that just won a national championship. And, you know, the offensive coordinator didn't expect to see Carson anytime soon. He had it back on his desk like three days later. Like, that's who Carson once is. I mean, he's just a, a different sort of breed. And so, you know, the, the comp between Wentz and Allen, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't mesh well with me because I think sort of Wentz had that coming out, that sort of understanding, you know, that there's more to play in the position than just simply throwing the football through a brick wall. Yeah, I can't disagree with any points you're making here, and I'm I can construe I think what you'll say here, but got to wrap up Josh Allen here. The biggest reason he will succeed going forward, and the biggest reason he will fail. Yeah, I mean, with Allen, he'll he'll succeed, you know, if he's handled the right way. You know, if he's given the chance to sort of develop and come along slowly, then he will be fine. My concern comes, though, is, again, when you're betting on the development to happen at the NFL level, sometimes you're setting yourself up to fail. You're setting yourself setting yourself up for some, you know, poor diminished returns. And, you know, with Allen, the raw tools, you can't deny that they're there, but – over the course of two years now, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see that other stuff come to fruition, to see the understanding of the nuance and the subtleties that go into play in the quarterback position. And it hasn't come yet. And so you can't help but wonder, will it ever? So, I mean, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. You know, he'll succeed if he learns that stuff. He'll succeed if he develops that sort of nuance, touch, feel. He'll fail if he doesn't because you can't just play the quarterback position at 100 miles an hour. And right now, that's the only speed Josh Allen knows. Sometimes you need to do the slower, nuanced, you know, touchy-feely type things that come to play in the position. He hasn't shown an ability to do it on a consistent basis, if at all, anytime. You know, whether it's last year, this past season, down in Mobile, just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency and accuracy, two of the biggest things with quarterback success. You know, if you throw it through a brick wall or you have all the tools – doesn't matter if you can't do it on a play-to-play basis. So I'm, I'm in agreement with you there. All right. Well, the next guy that is probably one of the more love him, hate him quarterbacks in this entire class. You know, there's been a lot of talk about his height, some 
off or on field antics as well as some off field antics, but that is the Heisman Trophy winner, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, looking at Baker Mayfield, this is a guy Bronco fans seem very, very divided on. And I think most of the NFL world really is. Either you love him or you hate him. There, there's no really in between. And some of it comes from questions about playing in the Big 12. Some of it comes from, like you said, the height thing. Some of it comes from just, is he the next Johnny Manziel? And let's just start right there with with leadership. What, Mark, what do you think about his leadership style? You know, that is such an important question when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks because, you know, when it's third and seven, you get into the huddle as a quarterback, you've got 10 sets of eyes back at you, you know, and the worst thing, the worst feeling in the world as a quarterback, and I've experienced this, is when you get into the huddle and all 10 sets of eyes are looking at the grass, they're looking at their feet. It's because they've lost faith in you. You know, they've lost faith in your ability to lead this team to make the plays that this team needs to have made so they can be successful. That's never, I don't think ever going to be an issue with Baker Mayfield. Like he may flame out in the NFL due to sort of mistakes, you know, when he's making throws, when he's making decisions, things like that. He won't flame out, you know, due to a lack of like his team sort of losing confidence in him because he's got that chip. You know, he brings that to the table. He's the guy that you can see, from his time at Oklahoma, you could see just even in practice down in Mobile, you know, he's that guy that gets everybody going, that everybody gravitates to in between plays. And, you know, one of the things that really sort of stood out watching Baker Mayfield up close and personal down in Mobile was, you know, he he arrives late. He's dealing with the illness with his mother. He shows up basically, comes off the plane and gets on the practice field, takes a while to sort of get going. But then when they go at the end of that Tuesday practice session into 11 on 11, who rips the two best throws of that session but Baker Mayfield on two seam routes up the left hash mark? Because he's a guy that when the lights come on, forget it. Like he's the guy you want to go play for. And you can see it just watching him throughout that week. And so, yeah. It's a big component of playing the position. And that's one box that more than any other guy in this class, I think Baker Mayfield checks the best. Another one that's a lot of people look at it as checked because they look at the stats is, is that of accuracy. And I guess do you see the accuracy that he had in college thrown for over 70% really translating over to the NFL. Cause I know some people brought up big 12 defenses. He's had guys wide open. So the throws are easy he just doesn't have a lot of those tight window throws. So do you, do you believe in his accuracy? I do in a couple of senses. One, I believe me, I understand the big 12 defense argument and yeah, no, he was thrown to a lot of wide open guys, you know, and that's why a week like mobile in the senior bowl was going to be big for him. Cause you want to see him challenge some windows that maybe he haven't had to challenge at least a lot, you know, while he was playing at Oklahoma. You know, and the completion percentage one, when people sort of point to his completion percentage and say that he's an accurate quarterback, you know, the caveat to that is usually, well, he's making a lot of shorter throws. You know, he's making a lot of throws near the line of scrimmage, a lot of swing routes and screens and stuff like that. That's kind of the NFL these days. I mean, look at next gen stats, look at passing charts and a lot of these guys, a lot of throws are coming in that like 15 and in to even behind the line of scrimmage sort of range. There's not a ton of downfield stuff being done right now. And so on those throws, I think, you know, Mayfield is sufficiently accurate to run a sort of West Coast based offense and be successful with it. But one of the throws that really sort of stood out to me, this, you know, down in Mobile, Carl, was, you know, from that, you know, Wednesday practice session, I believe it was, where 
you know, sort of a wheel route against kind of a cover two look. And in some situations you might sort of see, because the safety was squat on the hash mark a little bit, he was late to rotate over. You might see the quarterback try to lead him upfield for the big play, but Mayfield put it almost into a back shoulder type throw because he saw that safety rotate and over late. He didn't want to lead his receiver into trouble and sort of had his guy put a throw on him that had his guy sort of throttled down so he would at least make the catch and be able to brace himself for a potential impact. And that to me showed sort of an understanding of like nuance, coverage, and ball placement that we don't see from a lot of these other guys. Because if that were Josh Allen, he would have laid it out there and try to try to have his guy run under it. But Baker put it in a spot that was the most advantageous for his teammate. And that really stood out to me. So I think Baker is sufficiently accurate. Is his ball placement perfect? It hasn't been at times. Is anticipation an issue? He's been getting better at it, um, but it's not his strong point. Does he have weaknesses as a quarterback? Yes, he does, and we'll get to them. But I think he's accurate enough to run you know, a couple of different offensive systems and be successful. He improved as, as a pocket passer as, as the years went on, but he's still one of those quarterbacks that kind of – almost seeks chaos every once in a while. What What are your thoughts of that translating to the NFL? Does he get have to get better at being a pocket passer or can he really live kind of running around a little bit, waiting for somebody to get open like he has in college? Uh, and what's, in, what's really interesting about that is, you know, before last year's draft, the December, so I guess it was December of 2006, 2016, excuse me. I wrote a piece looking at Baker basically talking about the, comfort of the conundrum of comfort and chaos because when i was watching him when he was a junior it always would seem like there were times when he had easy throws you know whether it's a check down or, or a quick flat route or a stick route or something and there were times when he would pass those up and almost draw more pressure to himself and that's what he wanted he wanted to be in those situations and i revisited last year and did a piece just a couple of weeks ago you know looking at his senior year tape and again, highlighted more examples of that. It does seem like, and this is something he's going to need to improve on, that he invites chaos, that he seeks it out, that, oh, I've got this easy stick route on fourth and three. Well, that's nice, but I'd rather buy some time and make something crazy happen downfield. Or I'd rather, you know, buy some time and get a scramble drill dig route, come open late. He can't do that all the time in the NFL. It works in stretches. It works for a while. It worked for a while for Russell Wilson this year until teams sort of caught up to it and they were able to sort of contain him as much as they could or at least, you know, constrict every possible throwing window, tell their guys to cover late into the play until after the whistle, even if need be, sort of take away those scramble drill type throws. Mayfield's going to have to make throws from the pocket. That might be the biggest sort of hand up that people will have on him because they think he doesn't want to do it as much. He can certainly do it, but there are times on his tape, his tape is littered with examples of him in the pocket, having an option and giving up on it or, you know, resetting himself and then giving up on a potential option. That's my biggest fear with him, that he never unlearns that. I mean, I think when you're studying quarterbacks, I've long been of the mentality that it's easier to sort of dial back your aggression. You know, you can learn to be more conservative. It's hard. It's almost impossible to learn to be more aggressive. That's one of the things, one of the many things, but one of the things that doomed me as a quarterback was I was always conservative. And I, I could never become more aggressive. With Mayfield, I think he'll be okay. I think there's the opportunity to sort of dial back that thrill-seeking, chaos-seeking element to his game. But if he doesn't, that's going to be the thing that holds him back. 
Yeah, I, I remember one throw. I can't remember who he was playing, but it was, I think, a, a third and short, and they ran a, a rub route over the middle. And instead of hitting the guy for an easy first down, he decided to take a, a deep out pattern. And he hit it, and it was a first down. I mean, it was a great throw, great play, but it really wasn't the first read of the play. Yeah, He was just looking for that bigger play down the yeah. field. and that, That's a perfect example, and that's a great example of like, you know, you got to strip away the process from the results when you're studying these guys because, you know, you can point to examples of a lot of these guys and say, wow, that's a touchdown throw. That's got to be a great play, right? But when you sort of strip it all away, you know, how the player got to that decision point is flawed. And is that a sort of fatal flaw in the National Football League? And it could be conversely where you see sort of no throw decisions, which are either good ones or bad ones. And so that's going to be the, the trick for, you know, unlocking the quarterback inside Baker Mayfield is balancing the ability that he has sort of in those chaotic moments with the need to make throws on third and seven from the pocket and the need for all NFL quarterbacks to take that easy throw when the defense gives it to you. If they're going to show you off coverage, take the hitch route. Why make it harder on yourself? If they're going to show you off coverage, don't force a back shoulder throw into it when the defender is sitting on it. Like That's what he's going to have to balance. And it's a balance for a lot of quarterbacks. It's going to be a critical sort of question that Mayfield answers as he enters the NFL. What, what do you think on – this is another critique of his game. Is that of being a product of the system and also just having the talent around him? Something that I, I noticed down in, in Mobile was he didn't quite have the same kind of quickness and speed around him. And there's a couple times where he had to do kind of a double clutch because his receiver couldn't get off press coverage. And you could tell he's just getting kind of frustrated. He's used to his guys getting open in a hurry and being able to make those quick throws. And do you think that's going to be a struggle for him moving to a, a less possibly talented team where there's not guys aren't going to be quite schemed open like they do there at Oklahoma? I mean, it's it's certainly a possibility, but I think a lot of what we saw from Baker down at Mobile was also his process and speed. And I think part of it comes from, you know, a lot of what he's asked to do in that offense is to sort of read, process, react, and decide, you know, based upon what the defense is showing him, whether it's, you know, coverage looks, whether it's RPO stuff where you're reading a defender and making a decision based off what that guy does. The process of speed for Baker Mayfield is pretty advanced as far as the guys in this in this class. And so there are times, I think, whether it's down in Mofield where whether it's down in Mobile or whatever, where he's sort of ahead of the structure of the play. And this was something we saw with Carson Wentz as well, where he's almost waiting on the play to sort of come to where he needs to be able to where he can finally pull the trigger because his mind, his footwork and everything else is that far ahead of schedule. And what was really interesting watching Mayfield down in Mobile was, you know, a lot of these one-on-one drills, as a quarterback, you might get lazy, you'll just stare down the route. But Mayfield is always looking off defenders, even if it's a simple one-on-one drill, even if you're just throwing to a receiver against air. He's always moving his eyes. He's always going through every single rep like it's a progression. So I, I loved seeing that. And it's just something so small, so almost insignificant. But it tells me that Mayfield's constantly going to be that guy that's like working through progressions and working through reads. 
and you know, yeah, he was playing with good talent around him, but I think the process and speed is kind of what led to some of that sort of frustration you were talking about that Mobile was because he knew where he was supposed to be going with the football ahead of where the play was in its own progression and development. And so I, I think he's going to be fine when he gets to the NFL dealing with that because, you know, he'll begin be playing with pretty good athletes. The speed of the game will be faster, but it will almost, almost speed up to the point where now it's on par with where he is from a mental awareness standpoint. What would you say at the NFL level he's going to need to succeed? Well, I think it's it's almost imperative, I think, for Mayfield to get into the right offensive system. I think he's tailor-made for sort of your West Coast-rooted you know, 2018 offense, which would take on components of spread stuff, RPO stuff, and air raid type stuff. You know, I, I loved the, the I love the idea of him in you know New York. Um, when you look at how the Jets ran their offense last year, it was West Coast rooted in what John Morton was doing, but there was a lot of mesh stuff, air raid stuff. They did do a couple of RPO type things. I think they'll do even more with that if they draft a Baker Mayfield. I mean, I think. You know, with him, the downfield passing game isn't his strong suit. He could make some downfield throws. Yeah, he has the arm strength to make some downfield throws, sure. But I don't think that's what he's best tailored to. You know, I think for Mayfield, you know, it's the dual process of avoiding chaos and having the right offensive fit. And that's why I think sort of a West Coast offense would be best for him because it's quicker. You're supposed to get the ball out quicker. You know, the routes aren't going to be designed downfield where he's going to like – have situation where he's going to create chaos on his own. And so I think that's really important for him. And I think that type of offense will serve him well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's, I guess, maybe a little bit of my concern with the Broncos is Musgrave does like to go deep a lot more. Yeah. And yeah. And how, you know, how that, that, is, yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a concern when you're when you're looking at Mayfield and trying to project him into an NFL offense. If it's a heavy vertical based passing offense, I'm not sure it's really the best fit for him. I think there are guys in this class that will be better fits for that type of offense. So, I mean, if, if you're the Jets, you know, I think it makes sense. But maybe if the Broncos, as most of your listeners are, I'm, assume, I'm assuming. But if you're a Broncos fan, it's probably not the best fit. What would you say would be the biggest reason he's going to succeed in the NFL? I think competitive toughness. And, you know, that's... Self-evaluation is such a huge sort of part of doing what we do here. And, you know, two years ago when it came to time to to rank Dak Prescott as a quarterback, I barely had a draftable grade on him. And I missed wildly. And I'm going to do a piece later on where I break down why I missed. And the reason why I missed was even though I noted it and was fully aware of how competitively tough Dak Prescott was. I mean, you see him, you know, fighting for extra yardage and a blowout loss against Alabama. You see him doing all these other things to really try to put that team on his back. And, you know, I noted it, but I missed it. And what I didn't take into consideration was a guy with that kind of level of toughness, that mental toughness, was going to do everything he could to become a better quarterback. And that's what Prescott did from the time he left campus coming in to the National Football League. I hung my hat on all the ball plays, but it wasn't perfect all the time. And that's what really, you know, allowed me to sort of give him a bad grade. Now let's spin that forward. You know, having learned from that, I look at a guy like Deshaun Watson who shows it. I look at a guy like Baker Mayfield who shows it. And it just gives me a little bit more confidence to say that when he gets to the NFL, he's going to fix the things he needs to fix because he doesn't want to lose, whether it's losing a game or just 
losing and getting knocked out of the league. Like Baker Mayfield is going to always be a walk-on, you know? And people might ask, why does that matter? Well, what's the first thing, if you meet Tom Brady, what's one of the first things he's ever going to say to you? I was drafted in the sixth round. You know, he's the greatest quarterback, arguably, of all time. He's won five Super Bowls. He's married to a supermodel. He has the perfect life. But he's still going to tell you he was drafted in the sixth round. He's still going to tell you his pick, 199. Look at Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. He was talking about guys that made teams instead of him, guys that were, you know, given awards instead of him, guys that, like, made him angry. Like sometimes the great ones have a bit of an insanity streak to them where they take every perceived slight and magnify it. And that's why Baker Mayfield will always have that chip on his shoulder. He will always be a walk-on quarterback. And as a result, like he may not end up being a great quarterback in the National Football League. He might not have a Hall of Fame career or anything, but I'm going to bet on this guy, like fixing what he needs to fix and being a the worst you know a mid-tier type quarterback very early in his career because i'm not going to go ahead and bet against the chip on that guy's shoulder yeah i mean you can see it easily just in i mean just this last what was it a week ago where some guy said that he was going to to texas and was going to be ou and he had to comment good luck on that you know and (laughs) just that yeah you see that competitive in him that he just he doesn't want to have any kind of slide he doesn't want to he'd almost rather not lose than win yeah, that's that's exactly right. And, you know, that's where some of the sort of Mansell-esque immaturity issues come up with him. But it all comes from, like, he plays the game with almost, you know, a righteous anger and fury that if, you know, you don't shake his hand, he's going to go out there and tear your head off. And he's going to let you know throughout the entire game that he's tearing your head off. That's just how he approaches this game. But when you're playing the quarterback position, that's how you should play it. You have to play it angry. You know, you can't play it timid. You can't play it scared. You can't be worried. You have to go out there and take the game by the throat. And that's what Mayfield seems to do on almost every single occasion that he's out there. He'll make mistakes, yeah. He'll get himself into trouble on the field by getting into chaos and seeking it out, yeah. But as long as he tempers that back a bit, no, I think it could be a good one. I, I can't disagree with any of that. And I'm, you're right. It, he'd be a tough one to ever bet against. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> he'll let you know bet against yeah, him. That's, that's the other sure. thing, yeah. Yeah, don't, 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 don't add him on Twitter, anybody. Yeah. Like, just, you don't want to do that. We still have a few more quarterbacks to get to here, but we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash up. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash up. All right, well, let's get to our final guy here, the other Josh, and the guy that's, uh, again, another polarizing quarterback. A guy either that you love or you hate about his game. And you watch his film and you sit there and say, man, this guy's accurate. He's smart. He's quick processing, all that kind of stuff. And then you read other stories about his personality and, and leadership questions. And I guess let, let's just start right there because that's the, the really big question with him. Where, where do you fall on the personality leadership questions with him? Yeah. And what's really interesting about Rosen is if it were purely – 
a between-the-lines debate on all of these quarterbacks, I don't think there would be a question that Rosen was QB1. You know, because I think he's the cleanest, most scheme diverse, most well-rounded package of all of these guys purely on the field. And, you know, for my line of work, for what we do, like that's all I can really base this stuff on. And so that's why I'm going to end up with Rosen on the top of my quarterback borders because, you know, I look at the fact that he can thrive in any offensive structure. I look at the just, you know, it's almost clinical how he throws the football accuracy ball placement it's all extremely good you look at all of his interceptions and you know on some of them are route miscommunication issues which maybe were his mistakes in part but maybe they weren't you know a couple of them were drops but they weren't a lot of repeated mistakes sometimes he was trying to maybe do too much you know and that could get to you know you know guy trying to win games but you don't see a lot of the same route concept and then an interception like you saw with Sam Darnold in the smash concept. Like not a lot of repeated mistakes, which shows you that he's learning. And if he's making mistakes, he's at least developing through that. So I think if it were purely an on the field sort of analysis, Rosen should be, you know, with maybe some exceptions, everybody's surefire QB1. But the other stuff is what's going to be his red flag. You know, there's the two concussions. And with everything that we now are learning about the game of football, that is an issue. It's hard to ignore it. I mean, if, if it were two ACL injuries, people would be looking at it too. So, you know, it, it's a part of the game and it's a part of the evaluation process. And when you're talking about potentially spending, you know, a rookie first-round quarterback contract on a guy, you want to make sure that he's going to be able to play the duration of not just one, but multiple contracts. So that's an issue. And then, of course, there's sort of the off-the-field stuff, the whether he is that he has interests or pursuits outside of the game of football, whether it's, you know, some of the immaturity stuff and the leadership stuff, like we heard with Connor Cook, although I was, I heard a lot more of it with Connor Cook than Josh Rosen. But again, you know, do you want this guy to be the face of your franchise? And so, you know, those are the issues that are going to hold Rosen back. And, you know, some of us that were down in Mobile, I'm sure we all heard the same stuff that, you know, one of the reasons why Donald is going to go early is because people just sort of, don't like, don't trust, don't believe in sort of the mentality of Josh Rosen away from the football field. We've seen the photos, the hot tub and hats and whatever. We've heard some of the comments, the comments about, you know, maybe he doesn't want to play in Cleveland. And football is still at its heart, like an, you know, an old school business. And people are going to want guys that live and breathe and eat and sleep the game. And, you know, sometimes when you come across guys that have pursuits away from the game or have interests away from the game, that rubs people the wrong way. And so if Rosen falls, it's going to be a combination of the off the field stuff because on the field, I think he's as clean as it could be. Uh, yeah. I can't, can't argue that at all as an NFL team. Like you said, with him being the the face of the franchise, how big is it that they kind of toe the line when, when they get to those press conferences, because as we've seen, Josh Rosen is pretty much the opposite of that. He'll speak his, his opinion and he'll be very, very truthful with the media. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is going to be such an interesting thing to see unfold because, you know, you can sort of surmise there might be some ownership groups that are going to be, you know, more standoffish when it comes to having a guy that's going to come on and sort of speak his mind and, you know, open up his mind and, you know, say whatever he wants, you know, particularly as a rookie quarterback coming in, you know, and in some organizations and in some, you know, 
even you could say some areas of the country, people might be more receptive to that than others. Like, you know, the New York Jets, for example, you know, they might be sort of fine with that because, you know, they've got Joe Namath. You know, that's sort of their storied history. It was sort of a brash guy. It's almost like Hollywood nature in, in some sense, you know, the fur coats and stuff. And now you get a California kid who's going to speak his mind. You know, maybe that could work. But then you look across town with the Giants and, you know, the Mara family. You know, I think they're a little bit more, you know, buttoned up, so to speak. And so maybe that wouldn't play well. You know, could, you know, if the Patriots had an early pick, could he go to New England? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's really the best fit because New England, they like their guys to keep, you know, keep things buttoned up and, you know, lips sealed and nobody talks. You make a foot joke about Rex Ryan and you're going to get benched for a couple of series or two. Like that's the way they treat it. So maybe it wouldn't fly there. And so, you know, I, I, it's when you're making a decision to make somebody the face of your franchise, you have to take into account in this day and age, like everything else that goes on away from the field. The fact that the NFL is now, you know, you know, 365 business, 350, you know, 52 weeks a year. Everybody's consuming some sort of NFL type content, whether it's the draft, free agency, schedule releases, whatever. And this guy's going to be the face of your franchise. And in all of that, you know, all the time, and you have to be comfortable with that relationship. You have to be comfortable with him, you know, being the face of your organization, the face of your business. It's a big part of it when you're talking about quarterbacks. So, yeah, I mean, there there will be some ownership groups, I'm sure, that they, they're going to see some of the stuff that he said. They're going to look at some of the stuff that he's done, some of the beliefs that he's had, and say, you know, I'm just not sure it's right for us. He's definitely right for me, in my opinion. I am a big Josh Rosen fan. I know you, I saw you when I when I asked you if you would come on the podcast. I You retweeted my lengthy article on Josh Rosen, the, the pounding yep. the table one, saying he's quarterback one. And I understand that he has some issues, you know, the lean frame, the concussions, the durability is there. You know, there are some issues where he, he tries to do too much. And that's, I mean, we saw that in your interception piece on Josh Rosen as well. That's something. Uh, but I feel like I feel like I read a stat somewhere that almost almost all of his interceptions came when his team was losing the game and he was having to put the team on his back in order to stage a comeback and kind of make up for the talent deficiencies that he had around him. You know, sometimes, you know, throwing across his body that that one against Memphis, which was absolutely a no-no, throwing, going to the right and then throwing it to the left across his body for a terrible pick. And he does have some of those litter in his tape. But is there something that uh, – a main takeaway, I guess, from the interception you work you did on Josh Rosen? Yeah, I mean, the, the Memphis interception you just highlighted, that was just a confounding decision. You know, because it, it was one of those plays where, look, he had done everything right. It's 30-19. He slides well in the pocket. He climbs. But then he's got to check down in front of him. You know, and this is similar to what we were talking about with Baker Mayfield. It's 30-19. Just take that. Like, I know you want to make a play. That's good. It's good that you want to be aggressive in that situation and make a downfield throw and try to make something happen. But sometimes as a quarterback, even in those situations, you've got to learn that sometimes losing is the best way to win. You've got to live for the next series. Don't put your defense, don't put your team in a situation where now defense has to come back on the field and defend a potentially short field. You know, and, and so similar to Mayfield, you know, it's dialing back the aggression a bit. And like you said, Nick, you know, part of it was due to the fact that, you know, he was having to play from behind a lot. You know, but when you sort of take a step back and look at 
the totality of the interceptions and you know what we kind of learned from them the main takeaway that i sort of had was you know other than you know two routes where there was sort of a miscommunication issue the rest of it it was like all sort of different stuff there weren't a lot of repeated mistakes like he had one against arizona on a play action comeback route the anticipation was there it was a deep out route you know right hash mark to the left sideline the timing was pretty good he just sort of placed it behind the receiver just enough where the defender was able to break on it but you didn't see a ton of that you know there there was a a route that was i, th- I think actually now i'm looking back at three misreads so there's that situation where it's miscommunication between himself and the receiver where he's throwing one thing the receiver's doing another and so you kind of take those and place them aside you know there was one that was a drop and so i just think that there weren't a lot of repeated mistakes and that's my main takeaway from them that you know it wasn't like teams were showing him the same look and he kept screwing it up other things had to happen for him to make mistakes other things had to happen for him to turn the football over and you know that makes me think that Again, he's learning as he goes. He's absorbing his mistakes. He's learning from mistakes and becoming a better quarterback as you go through this process. Because, you know, and that's part of the reason I do this interception stuff is because you learn so much about when a quarterback makes a mistake, when a quarterback throws a turnover, that I think you learn more by studying that than studying some of the other stuff because it gives you a window into what they're screwing up. And then as you, you know, get through the rest of their tape, are you seeing the same sort of mistakes again? And you didn't see that much, if any of that, with Josh Rosen. Yeah, that's a great point. I definitely remember that from your video as well. And it's something that's definitely worth noting is that he learns from his mistakes. He's not making the same one twice, and he's going back out there. And he's still letting it rip, though. That's a big yeah. thing. He's not, he's not afraid. He throws some of the tightest windows that I saw from any of the quarterbacks this season. The way that yeah. ball comes out of his hand, I mean, it is, it's beautiful. He is going to put on a clinic at the combine, you know, yeah. when it comes to the throwing drills and all that stuff, you know, he and Josh Allen are going to look incredible. I bet, you know, Allen for one reason, and that's the fact that he will, you know, probably hit 69 on the radar gun or something like that. And it's going to be <laughs> super nice for everybody, yeah. but Rosen is the cleanest on the field guy, but that part might not even matter for him because where Rosen's going to determine if he's the first quarterback taken or not is going to be at the podium the day prior. And what is yeah. he going to say then? How is he going to handle yeah. that? If he if he comes out and says all the right things and does all the right things and has a smile and you know dots the I's, crosses the T's, whatever, and treats the media well and just looks the part, then he's going to you know talk himself into being the first overall pick. He's not a guy that has to play himself into being the first overall pick. He's a guy that has to talk himself to that point. And the meeting rooms, the whiteboard sessions, again, sitting down with the owners and looking the owners in the eye and saying, yes, you know, Mr. Marr, Mr. Kraft, you know, whomever, you know, I can be the face of your franchise. I will be the guy that you can count on to, you know, put a good face to your business. If he nails that stuff, he'll have nailed the week. I am very excited to interview him at the combine myself. I haven't decided what question I'm going to ask him yet, but it's definitely something I will be sleeping on and thinking about. Uh, but yeah, moving on here, just a couple last questions, wrap up Rosen here. Uh, the biggest thing he needs to succeed and the biggest thing his ability uh, allows a team to overcome. Well, I mean, I think with Rosen, it sort of gets us back to where we started in the sense that, you know, with Josh Allen, I think he's a fit for a downfield type pass and attack. You know, with Baker Mayfield, I think it's more of a West Coast type thing. With Donald, I think he could 
do West Coast. I think he could be a downfield guy, but there's still some scheme holes to each of those three guys. Rosen can come in and run any kind of offense you want. You know, Rosen can come in, he can give you air raid stuff, he can give you West Coast, Ern Perkins, Coriel, like whatever you want to do, he can do. And that's why I think, you know, again, coming back to how I do this and how I rank these guys, the fact that he's so scheme diverse in my mind makes him a more valuable commodity because you won't have to tailor, you know, your offense. Obviously, you know, whoever the quarterback is, like we talked about with Brady, you still do some things for them to help them, but he, you don't have to change your personnel packages. You don't have to change your playbook. He can come in and run it. And so similarly, like we would talk about Kirk Cousins, he's plug and play. And, and that's a huge benefit to coaching staffs, to front office people, because you don't have to alter your, you know, because receivers, you're looking for different sort of traits at receivers if you're running one offense versus another. Same thing with pass blockers. Like, you know, if you need guys that are going to sort of win well into the rep, if you're going to run a downfield passing game, if you're just be doing quick game, you know, you just need guys that can get in somebody's way for a couple of seconds. I mean, not to, you know, make too much fun of it, but yeah. So, you know, he's a boon and a benefit to an offense and to an organization because of his scheme diversity. So that's a huge thing that helps him. What could hold Josh Rosen back? The medical stuff, maybe? You know, if there's more to his concussion history, if, you know, that becomes an issue for him. Because again, purely on the field, I think he's extremely clean. Are there nitpicky things like, you know, being overly aggressive at times? Yeah. You know, but I think part of that was due to, you know, situation. I think also part of that is he's an aggressive guy that's going to challenge those windows, like we said. And as I said with the other guys, I think you can learn to be more conservative as you sort of develop in the National Football League. I think Rosen can play early. I think even in Cleveland, I think he could have a level of success even if he were playing early. And so, you know, that's why to me, I, you'll be, it would be, it would take something wonky to happen for him not to be my top quarterback in this draft. Yeah, I can't disagree, and I am a, a big Josh Rosen fan myself. I a self-declaimed yeah. uh, Rosen Brosen. There you and go. That's that's my group. But uh, wrapping up these guys and kind of moving on here because we're getting a little bit long, which is great. I mean, we're loving all this information coming from you, Mark. But I'm curious, your your top five guys in this class right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of where I am right now. I've got it's it's Rosen, Baker, Donald, Lamar, and then Josh Allen. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, we don't, didn't do a segment on Lamar. You know, I, I still look at Lamar Jackson. And I think, you know, similar to some of the stuff we talked about with the other guys that you can run an offense with him right now. You know, and I, I think with, with Allen, I'm just it, – it's the betting on development part where you're going to need more development to him. Josh Allen might end up having the highest ceiling out of any of these guys, but it's the floor that worries me. You know, I think with the other four guys, you can get them in and run on an offense and be pretty successful right away with them. But with Allen, you know, th- there's just so much he needs to clean up. So that's kind of where I am right now. I I doubt that it's going to change as if I do my like third and fourth pass on each of these guys. You know, maybe something happens. But yeah, that's that's kind of my top five right now. Yeah, I can't disagree. I would have loved to have gotten to Lamar Jackson here, but time is an issue. And based on some inside information, I don't think the Denver Broncos are as interested in him as these other four guys. So we will see about that. Okay, we got a couple more qu- quarterback questions here. You know, nothing nothing big, not going to dive in so deeply here, but a day two guy who you think will end up a solid starter in this league. Is there one in this class this year? And if so, who it is? 
Yeah, I mean, if we're going to sort of treat Lamar as sort of a day one type guy, I'll leave him aside for a minute. Um, I think the two to keep an eye on are Mason Rudolph and Kyle Loletta. Rudolph, I think, looks like the guy that might have a pretty high floor. I, I think I'm not so much sure how much better he could get. But I think, you know, Mason Rudolph is a guy that's probably going to be in the league, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe as a, you know, backup spot starter type, a guy that you might see catch fire for a couple of seasons in one situation. So I, I'm definitely sort of intrigued by him, but I'm not sure like how much like growth and development, you know, room there is with him. With Laletta, I think what you're seeing is a pretty advanced cerebral type quarterback, a guy that played for four different offensive coordinators, knows the game inside and out. There are some scheme limitations to him, doesn't have the huge power arm not fitted for a downfield type passing game but he can make 95% of what most offenses do you know make 95% of those throws sufficient with sufficient velocity good ball placement good process and speed athletic enough throws well on the move and so I think in certain offenses like perhaps New England he would be a good fit so yeah those are the two guys I look for sort of day two guys that will start yeah absolutely those are guys that we've talked about on this podcast as well as some that we have some interest in that could be those types that, you know, probably not a high-end starter. You never know, you know, things can change. Right. But probably not a high-end starter, but could be a spot starter and definitely have a chance to start in the league for a number of years. But the final question here for the sleeper quarterbacks, a day three guy or guys that you think will stick around for, for a few years, you know, spot starter type and could have some potential starting down the line. Yeah, I mean, there's – I love sort of talking about day three quarterbacks because I always – you know, you spend so much time studying these guys anyway. You want to get a chance to talk about them a little bit. So, you know, I, I look at Mike White from Western Kentucky. Um, I think he's fairly scheme diverse. I don't think he gets enough credit for that because I think he could run most offensive systems. Loved his game against Middle Tennessee State, his final regular season game. Middle Tennessee State doing some stuff up front with a 3-3-5 look. A lot of different looks, stunts, twists, blitzes up front. Shows some great sort of processing speed in those situations. Did great job sort of replacing the blitz with the ball. Um, which I really like to see. So you could see how he could run in a couple of different offensive systems. Um, Kirk Bankert, the kid from Virginia, his like first 40 minutes against Miami might've been some of the best quarterback tape of this entire group. I mean, he just was incredible, but then he made the one mistake, throws a pick six and it kind of goes south from there. But he did some nice things in that game, some nice things against Boise state. So I think he could stick around in this league. And then as we sort of get really deep into this group, Chase Litton from Marshall, I've, I kind of made sort of the Tanner Lee is Josh Allen light comparison. And I think it's all similarly apt uh, with Chase Litton has an incredibly powerful arm, makes some head scratching throws, like throws where he's like fading away, throws where he doesn't have his feet set. But I think he's a guy that could stick and, you know, maybe be a practice squad guy for his first couple of seasons in the NFL, but he has some of the raw tools that if he gets a chance to refine them and stick around for a while, he could be a guy that sort of grows into his starter a couple of years down the road. Yeah, he's one that I liked what I saw at Marshall. I was pretty surprised that he came out this year, though. I was, I yeah, that. I was very surprised when he came out. I mean, I had done, you know, a lot of baseline work for him and last summer. You know, as the season wore on, I watched a couple more games, but I assumed that he was going to head back. He came out, must have gotten some advice. He's got the Lee Steinberg representation, so they must be hearing some good things. So, you know, I he probably does hear his name called probably late on day three. But if he gets into a situation where he can be sort of your practice squad QB for the next couple of years, who knows what could happen with him? He's got enough sort of raw tools and talent where anything can happen. Yeah, and if the Broncos are looking at a guy like Kirk Cousins, 
Chase Litton seems like the perfect guy that you could add day three to compete with yep. a guy like Chad Kelly and anything like that. And Elway can still get his tall, big-armed quarterback. There you go. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Carl Eric, do you guys have any questions or any comments before we wrap this on up? No, I'm good. Oh, the thing I got to say is that I just had a one of the best times of my life sitting here listening to you talk, Mark. Thank <sighs> wow. you so much for coming it's, on. It's uh, incredibly kind to say, Eric. I appreciate that. Believe me. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy guy, especially this time of year. And are you going to be at the Combine this year? I will not be headed to the Combine. I'm actually, I think we just locked down a little family trip so I could, um, you know, kind of repay the wife a bit because she had to watch the kids while I was down in Mobile. And yeah, you get one six-year-old and a four-year-old. It can be a little dicey. So I'm going to be staying on the home front. I'm sorry to miss it and miss you guys that are going to be there. But, um, you know, I'll be watching it. I'll figure out a way to watch it somehow. Well, that's too bad for me because I won't get to see you there, but maybe next time. There's always definitely, definitely, man. All right. Well, that will wrap up this week's episode of the huddle up 2018 NFL draft podcast. You can find Mark on Twitter at Mark Schofield and make sure you head over to YouTube and inside the pylon where he has a lot of work up there as well. We referenced his interception pieces. He has about 30, 20 to 30 minute videos on each of the quarterbacks. Then their interception pieces, which are just really, really, interesting and fun pieces to watch especially if you're a type that's kind of starting to get into the film and mark really walks you through about a lot of the things that if you don't really know what you're looking for he can guide you through it you can also find carl on twitter at carl dumbler mhh eric at eric trickle and myself at nick kendall mhh also make sure you head on over to mile high huddle an affiliate of scout.com and the cbs sports digital to find our articles not just related to the draft but all things denver broncos and also i would suggest listening to the locked on patriots where mark hosts each week, each day, but well, I don't really think the uh, the Denver fans yeah, love those you, Patriots. I understand. So <laughs> I more than understand, guys. You don't have to listen to it. <laughs> Although I do talk about the quarterbacks a lot, so maybe you can keep an eye on for those QB shows. But the rest of the time, I understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think next year is the first year and for flipping ever that the Broncos and the Patriots won't be meeting up. So I guess we can have a mutual friendship there. There we next go. Year. That sounds great. Yeah. So. It, it's until Brady retired, it's a little bit wishy-washy, Bill Belichick. I mean, I don't know if you're a big Anchorman fan, but the point I'm at with the Patriots right now, it's like the end of Anchorman where he's holding the ladder. It's uh, Wes Mantooth holding the ladder. And he's like, gosh, dang it, I hate you, right. but I respect you. Yeah, and it just gives him a kiss. You. That's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I understand. I mean, I've told people that, you know, when Brady and Belichick finally shuffle off and retire and head to the retirement homes or the – carnival down in brazil patriots fans we're going to be walking the deserts of fandom for the next 10 to 15 years because the run that we've had has been so ridiculous and so undeserved that we're going to get you know quarterback purgatory plus for the next 15 years of bad guy after bad guy so our days are coming but you no, I said that, like but, the Packers and the Colts who just like walk on from Favre to Rogers and right. Manning. Well, I, to, I, I say that while in the back of my mind, hoping that Kyle Lalletta does pan out when the Patriots draft him at the end of round two. So <laughs> they had a very long interview with him at the senior. Yeah, game. yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure they're going to look at him. He just feels like that type for sure. You can also yeah, follow yeah. the Huddle Up podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes and for Android users, Stitcher, as well as check us out on YouTube. You can follow our Twitter account at MyHuddle and at HuddleUpPod. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and reach out to us as we love interacting with fellow Bronco fans. For Mark, Carl, Eric, I'm Nick Kendall wrapping up another episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week. Go Broncos and go draft. Mile High Huddle.